0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At we thank you so much for the opportunity to come and worship, to come and gather together as the body of Christ, and to lift up the name of Jesus, to be able to lift him up because of all that he's accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection. He's literally come to a broken earth in order to fix it. He's come to serve a broken people in order to reconcile us to you. Father, he's brought us from the darkness and into the light because of his life and his death and his resurrection. And so, Father, as we preach and proclaim from the scriptures that message this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us into the understanding of these scriptures, not just for us to see them, but for it to change and transform our hearts so that we would treasure you more. And in treasuring you, there would be an awe that would fall on each one of us in such a way that we will turn to you, God, and we will say, you are good, You are great, you are mighty, you are wonderful. Father, we love you, we thank you. That's my prayer for us this morning. Holy Spirit, move, move in our hearts, move in our minds, move in our spirits. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans 8, picking up in verse 16, we'll start there. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let's stop there for a minute. The Holy Spirit's role is to bear witness to our spirits that we are actually children of God. We're children of God. What does it mean that he's bearing witness? That means that the Holy Spirit's role is constantly convincing, making a case, preaching good news to your spirit that you are a children of God. That you are in the family. That when you accepted Christ, when you received him, this is an assurance that God is guaranteeing for you that the Spirit is telling you daily, you're good, you're in me. You don't have to worry about the flesh. You don't have to worry about sin. You don't have to worry about those things separating you from Christ. The Spirit's role is to bear witness with our spirit that we are in the family, that Christ has saved us, that we've received salvation, that the gospel has planted roots in our hearts and in our minds and has transformed our identity to no longer be the identity of Dwayne the sinner, but is now the identity of Christ, which is Dwayne the saint. That's the Spirit's role. He's constantly preaching that to us daily. Now, that sounds amazing, but it still seems a little ethereal. It still seems like it's kind of like a supernatural thing that's going on. So how do I know whether or not the Spirit is actually preaching and proclaiming to my spirit that I am a child of God? How do I know? How can I have assurance every single day that what I'm living in is actually receiving the grace of God daily. Because that's what salvation is. Salvation is not just a one and done. You receive the grace of God, great. Now let's continue just living life and figuring it out as we go. No, salvation is that now the grace of God is poured out on you every single day of your life. So how do we know then that we are actually a part of that, receiving the grace of God every single day? Well, there's evidence. I love the fact that the Bible always provides us evidence around the claims that it makes, and it's specifically within this context. In verse 16, it says, "We are children." That's a statement. You are. That's a that's a matter of fact. It's an absolute statement. You are children. But then in verse 17, it says, "What? If children?" It says you are children. Therefore, you're heirs, and if heirs of God, then If children, if you are children, then you will be heirs. So the if means that there must be some evidences. There must be some some conditions that have to be in place in order for you to be a child of God. And those conditions are verses 12 through 15 before 16. The reason why I want to bring this up is because mere intellectual assent won't cut it here. Matthew 7, 21. Like, like us daily operating out of our own willpower, belief in God will not cut it. It won't cut it. Me trying to convince myself every single day to believe in God isn't going to work. I can't will myself to believe in God. So just mere intellectual assent is not going to work. Matthew 7:21 literally says in multiple times, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father will be in heaven. Being a child of the Father in heaven means that there will be a response to his will. A response to his salvation in you that provides evidences that the salvation was legit. So, me just saying daily, yeah, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, doesn't work. The book of James fights that. Because, in the context of the book of James, what was happening in their culture was there was a lot of people saying, We love Jesus, we have faith, we believe in the scriptures. Yet their lives did not prove or provide evidence that faith actually was rooted in their hearts. And so what James is responding to the culture of their day was, you say you have faith without any evidence of love, of encouragement, of serving one another, of actually worshiping God with your life. You say you have faith, your faith is dead. My faith is alive because my faith is proved by how I live my life. My identity is producing my actions. It's producing my thoughts. It's producing my words. It's producing my deeds. It's producing my service. It's producing my affections. It's producing all the things that I worship that are God. When faith is not rooted in us, even though we may say we're worshiping, we're truly not. We're truly not because we're still worshiping out of willpower rather than a new identity that was provided to us. And the reason why I bring that up is because Romans 8, 12 through 15 provides the evidences in your soul, in your heart, that prove whether or not this gospel has truly been rooted in you. And I'm driving this point home. You're like, this doesn't sound like inheritance to me. I'm driving this point home because this has to be the foundation for you in order for inheritance to be possible, in order for inheritance to be possible. So here's verse 12. Here's the evidences that are proving that we are children of God. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's four evidences in those four verses that show whether or not we are actually children of God. Here's the first one. We are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What that means is we don't have to sin anymore because we're no longer slaves to the flesh, but rather slaves to Christ. Before Christ, we only had one choice, sin. Sin, one choice. That's no longer our master. That's no longer our master. We have a new master and his name is Jesus And so we are no longer debtors to the flesh to now only live according to the flesh. We now have the opportunity to be debtors to Christ and live for him, live for him. That's the first evidence. Is there the ability for you to say no to sin? Being tempted, are you able to trust in the spirit and say no to sin and yes to Jesus? Number two says, we then put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So guess what? Because we're no longer debtors to the flesh, we are now debtors to Christ. We have the ability to put to death the deeds of the body so that we can live by the Spirit. Now, again, it says we're putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. We're still relying on trusting the Holy Spirit in us to actually help us put to death the deeds of the body. What does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? It means to make war, to wage war on the sin that is in your life. It takes sin seriously. We as Christians should not look at sin in just a kind of, well, sometimes I struggle, it's okay. Sometimes I mess up, it's okay. I mean, have you ever been a part of like one of those accountability groups where you're like around like three or four different guys or gals and, and someone every single week, yeah, I'm just, I'm just still struggling with it. I just can't, I just can't seem to overcome it. I, I just don't know what to do. And then, the, you know, we'll pray for you. We love you, trust Jesus. And then the next week, still struggling with the same thing. I just can't figure it out. I can't get a hold on it. Jesus got a hold on it. Jesus then promised you the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you so that you can get a hold on it, so that you can then be able to say no to it. We have the power, we have the ability. We can say no to sin. The reason why we don't is because we still value it more than we value Jesus. That's a hard truth, but that's the reality regardless of what it is, frivolous spending on shopping and addiction, whether pornography, like the click we think is more valuable than Jesus flipping a page and turning in scripture and looking at him and saying, you're glorious. Spending the money, we see it as more valuable from the high that we get from purchasing something more valuable than the high that we get from seeing the glory of Jesus and what he's purchased for us. We struggle with these things. And, and again, we're going to struggle with these things, but part of the evidence is that we actually wage war on it, we take it seriously, and we put it to death. What that looks like for us is that the sins that you struggled with 10 years ago, even though they might still be temptations for you now, you have the strength to be able to say no and walk away and actually abstain from it. Abstain from it. Part of the inheritance is that's a reality for us. We're not always going to to choose to sin, even though we might still struggle with it. We have the ability to be able to worship Jesus and the design that He's has, that He has provided for us in walking through life and living it out based on finances, based on sexuality, based on marital, like the relationships that you have, based on the way you work. There is a way in which we can say no to sin and yes to Jesus and worship in those ways because the Spirit is in us and we're able to put to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit. Number three, we're led by the Spirit of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God in your life? One of the best ways to know whether or not you're led by the Spirit is this the Spirit will never contradict Scripture. So, one of the things the Spirit is always doing, if the Spirit is in you, if the Spirit's proclaiming, if the Spirit is bearing witness to your spirit that you are a child of God, What he's doing is he's leading you to the scriptures. Do you have a heart for the scriptures? Do you have affections for the scriptures? Do you desire to read the word of God? Do you want to see Christ and his message in the word? The Holy Spirit's going to lead us there every single time because he's already said what he needs to say. We're not, like being led by the Spirit isn't us just kind of like wandering through life and coming to the fork in the road and saying, hey Spirit, which one do you think? Chipotle or which Witch?" That's our options every Sunday <laughs> for lunch. Like the Spirit, like even though the Spirit is active in those decisions in life, I'm not saying that He's not in decisions like that, but what I am saying is that the same God that's at Chipotle is the same God that's at which Witch. Different blessings or curses, either direction, depending on how you look at it. But the message of the gospel, the message of what he ultimately wants for us, is going to be found in the Word of God. No, the Word of God did not tell me who I'm going to marry. The Spirit had to help lead me in that, apart from Scripture. But what Scripture did for me was help prepare me for who I'm going to marry and then how I'm going to marry them, her, and then how I'm going to love her as we continue on through life. The Spirit's pushing me there and my affections are wanting to be grown in that so that I'm leading there every single time. The fourth one is this. We cry to God in humble dependence as we would with a Father. Is there a delight in you towards the Father? Is there a delight in you towards God? Do you run to him or away from him? That's one of the easiest ones. When you mess up, when you sin, when things are going bad, do you run to him or do you run away from him? If you run away from him, then you've never understood the gospel because the gospel says your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. God in Romans 8:1 at the beginning of the chapter says there's no, there's there that. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation, then he's not looking at me as the sin that I just committed. Rather, he's looking at me as he looks at his son Jesus, whom he says, in John, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased with. So regardless of the action that you did, regardless of the thought, regardless of the sin that you committed, he's looking at you and saying, You're my beloved child, if the gospel's true in your life. You're my beloved child, come to me, run to me. I wanna love you. Just like the prodigal son, as he's coming home, the father runs out to him and clothes him and provides the robe on him, provides the fingers with him. That's a beautiful picture of inheritance. Prodigal did nothing to earn the inheritance that he received, but the father came out and lavished it on him because of the love the father had for the prodigal son. Is there a delight in us to run to him regardless of times that are bad or times that are good? Because even in the times that are good, it's easy for us to look at ourselves and say how awesome we are. Rather than counting our blessings, as we were taught in church to do. Looking to God and saying, God, thank you so much that times are going good right now. Work's going great. Marriage is going great. We haven't fought in three hours. This is beautiful. Kids are somewhat obedient. They, they finished one-third of their dinner. This is awesome. Like even in the good times, we are to run to God and say, God, you're awesome, not run to ourselves and say that we're awesome or that we've accomplished something. Those are the four evidences that then provide the foundation for 16 and 17. So, inheritance, three things leading up to the big one. The first one is, as we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, one of the first fruits that the Scripture talks about is the glorified body that Jesus received when he resurrected. This one, for every single one of us, regardless of age, should say yes and amen to that we get a body that does not break down, that we get a body that is without blemish, that we get a, a body that radiates like the sun that we get a body that doesn't forget things, that we get a body that, that literally can do just about anything. I'm, I'm still banking on the fact that I'll be able to teleport when I get to heaven. Don't know if that'll be a reality or not, but Jesus went through walls without doors, and I get the same type of body that Jesus got. So I'm banking on it. But there's an inheritance. We receive a glorified body. It says this in Romans 8. 28, just a couple of verses later. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and here's what it means to be glorified. So it's not just a body. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be made glorious with him. Here's what it means. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it means to be made glorious To be made righteous means that we are being conformed to the image of his son. So our entire life process, and I'm I'm not going to get much into this because we'll talk about it next week with sanctification, but our entire life process is being made glorious. The resurrected body of Jesus, the resurrected state of Jesus, we are from the moment of our salvation to Jesus' resurrection, we are progressing towards that state of being. Which means, as simple as I can state it, along the process, along the progression, you will begin to sin less and worship more. Sin less and worship more. Does not mean that you are going to be perfect. But it should mean that we will progressively sin less and worship more. Because we are being made perfect in the image of Christ. This is why it's so important to read the life of Jesus. Not just focus on epistles, not just focus on on the letters of Paul, not just focus on even even necessarily Old Testament things that that point to it, but just, just looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason why it's so important to look at the life of Jesus, the way in which he interacted with those who were marginalized in his culture, the way in which he looked for practical deeds of helpfulness for the people that were around him, whether that's washing nasty feet or whether that's feeding uh, 5,000 people who are hungry around him, whether that's him teaching and admonishing one another whether that's him rebuking each other the reason why it's so important for us to look at the life of jesus is because we are becoming that life of jesus here and now everything that jesus did in his 33 years of existence before his death we are becoming He was perfectly obedient to the Father in living out the law and living out the design that God has for entire creation, specifically mankind, to work and function in. So if you ever wonder, how can I I love my spouse better? How did Jesus talk about the church? What did he say around the idea of him loving the church? when we talk about the way in which how can I love my neighbor better, what does Jesus say about how he loves his neighbor, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount? Just relationships in general. Just focus on that one. You don't have to try to figure out how to make a a tree wither and die. Leave that one to Jesus. The relationships, focus on those. How did Jesus relate to those who are around him? And how did he love and serve and pursue them? Because that's who who we are becoming. His thoughts, his actions, his deeds, his words, his message, everything about that. We are becoming. There's conformity to Christ. As we are being made glorious, the beautiful thing is that once... Jesus either returns or we go home to be with him. When we receive that glorified body, it says um, in Matthew 13, 43, that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, In heaven we will scarcely look at each other without worshiping. Now, morality will be completely perfected in that day, so there's not going to be a temptation for us to worship one another but we're looking at the glory and righteousness that's radiating off of each other that reflects God, and we worship. We, cease, we, we do not cease but worship as we see the glory and righteousness that's all around us. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to look at is what does it mean to be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ? What, what, not only a body do we receive, but what else are we receiving? The reason why I talked about glorification first is because we will not be able to handle, we will not be able to handle the spectacular inheritance we will receive from God unless we have been glorified. If we were to receive the inheritance from God right now, apart from a glorified state, it would crush us. It would crush us. And not only would it crush us, but we would become idolaters in a split second. Because we still have residue. We still have sin that we're still dealing with. We still have flesh that's not yet been glorified. So we're still wrestling with that. If we were to receive all that God provides for us, every spiritual blessing that is in Christ, if we were just to receive that all right now, we'd become idolaters when it comes to inheritance. And here's what I mean, because you're probably wondering, what's the inheritance? Just tell me what it is. Here's what it says in Romans 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that includes us, that he would be heir of what? The world. He would be heir of the world that did not come to him through the law, but it came through righteousness of faith. So when we have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, we become heirs of the world. Just in case you don't know what that means, 1 Corinthians three twenty-one through 23 says this, All things are yours. All things are yours. What is God ultimately restoring? Heaven and earth. He's restoring all things back to its initial beauty. What then do we get to receive as our inheritance? All of it. $120 billion looks a little black at this point. Because we get to receive Everything. Do you see how, if we're not in a glorified state, how that's going to be difficult for us? What was Jesus tempted with by Satan when he was in the wilderness? Took him up to a high mountain, looked over all the land, looked over all the palaces, looked over everything that was in existence, and Satan tempted Jesus with Jesus' own inheritance that he's receiving from God. I mean, sometimes Satan's just dumb. Let me, let me tempt you with what's already yours. We receive, as it says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ receives, we receive. Where do we get that? It's in this verse, 21 through 23 of 1 Corinthians 3. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. Who is Christ? He's God's. What does Christ receive? Everything that comes from God. That's Christ's inheritance. Who is Christ's? We are Christ's. We are his possession. What do we receive? We receive whatever Christ received because we are his. We're his family. The way I love to to think about this is when we were adopted by God and brought home and we walk into the house of God, when we say, can we go out back and play? When we go out back and play, the world is our backyard. Everything in existence. Will be our inheritance to be able to explore and play and worship God and all things restored and all things that are beautiful. So, the answer to the question, what will we inherit? is simply everything. Listen to it this way it says in Matthew chapter 5, starting at the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit what? The kingdom of heaven. It also says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The world. Last time I checked in Genesis 1-1, God only created two things, and it was the heavens and it was the earth. And he says to us in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us the blessed are going to receive both of those things. It's theirs. They possess it. Our inheritance that we receive from the gospel, from being a child of God, is we get to receive everything. Everything. C.S. Lewis also says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. I love that quote. It's so silly to just break it down and say that the primary reason for sin is because we choose creation over creator even though we're going to inherit creation when he returns. It's crazy what we did in the garden. It's crazy what we do every single day. We choose to worship something over our Creator when Scripture tells us that He's going to provide all of that to us when He returns. The difference is, is are we placing our affections and our hope on the creation rather than the Creator? That's what Romans chapter 1 is all about. The reason why we sin is because we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We worship creation rather than Creator. Creation was never meant to be worshiped. It was meant to be enjoyed. And in enjoying it, we give God all the glory. We give God all the credit. I love when I say, God, thank you so much for creating chocolate, the flavor. I love it in ice cream. I love it in Hershey's. I love it in anything and everything that is chocolate. I love it, God. Thank you so much. I'm not worshiping Hershey's. I'm worshiping God because he thought of the flavor. The flavor. He created the flavor. When you eat steak, that's a beautiful taste that God created. Thank you, Lord. And if you're vegan or vegetarian, I'm sorry. You're missing out. One day you'll inherit it, and maybe you'll change in your glorified steak. We love you here. We love all you. <laughs> let, me, let me get back on here. We receive everything. There's one last thing I want to finish with as part of our inheritance here and now. Look back at verse 17 in Romans chapter 8. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Anyone wish that comma wasn't in there? Like why? Why can't it just be fellow heirs with Christ, Period. Not, comma, provided we suffer with him. All of our realities will be the fact that we will suffer with Christ, experiencing all kinds of hardship and pain in this life. This is a part of our inheritance here and now. Because the beauty of God's grace shines brightest in the midst of our suffering, our trials. The beauty of God's grace shines brightest in those moments. Best way I can tell you is don't despise the dark days. Don't despise them. Listen to what Paul says as he now gives kind of a, because you can't just say, here's our inheritance provided we suffer with him without kind of giving some context to that. So Paul, again, I love when scripture does this. He tells us what that's going to look like. Romans 8, verse 18. He says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's the here and now, sufferings we're going to experience in the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's our inheritance. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 23, skipping down to there. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, the gospel, we groan inwardly Everyone say amen to that? Just groaning inwardly? Like you don't even know what that, like there's just that gnawing in your soul or there's that gnawing in your stomach. Like there's just something going on in your body that's like something's off, something's not working, I'm breaking down here. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. What? The redemption of our bodies. So the way I see this is we're groaning inwardly, Because the sufferings of this present time, what are the sufferings of this present time? It's all of the sufferings that we experience in our bodies. What we experience in our minds, what we experience in our hearts, what we experience in our souls, what we experience just physically, because again, your body's dying. It's breaking down. It doesn't matter how much Pilates you do, it's going to end badly for you. This is life. We break down the sufferings of this present time are all those things, everything we encounter that's painful, that's stressful, that's difficult, that's hard in our lives. If we suffer it in reliance on Christ for the glory of God, it becomes then a suffering with him. He's producing something within us as we are walking through suffering That is a glory that we will receive. And again, this is one of those evidences that we we will see whether or not we are actually children of God because when the suffering weighs down on you, when that yoke is placed on you, regardless of circumstances of life, one of two things is going to happen. We are either going to trust Christ to get us through or We're going to let it crash down on us, not trust him and run away from him as if he's an evil God. Why would you allow this to be done to me? Rather than I'm trusting you that you're producing within me a glory that is greater than this suffering that I'm experiencing right now. As Paul says, I don't consider the sufferings of this present time to be worth comparing to the glory that's revealed to us. Paul literally, at one point, just goes on this rant where he's saying all the things that he's experienced in life, that he's been beaten, that he's been stoned, that he's been shipwrecked three times. Not only on the third time that he was shipwrecked, he got to the island, built a fire, and then a snake jumped out and bit him. Kind of sound like Forrest Gump there. But anyways, like this is, this is what Paul experienced, and yet Paul looks at all of those things and always responds with, God, you're awesome. Not only that, but there was a time where there was a thorn put in his flesh that was a messenger of Satan that was ordained by God to be there because Paul says, I prayed for three times. I prayed for God to remove this horrific circumstance that I'm going through. And God said to him, no, this is keeping you dependent upon me. This is keeping you in reliance upon me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And Paul, his, his perspective towards the thorn, his perspective towards suffering, all changed because now he says, oh, wait, 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 you mean, you mean if I suffer things in your name, that that means I get to experience Christ on a greater level than if the suffering never happened? And God says, yes. And Paul says, then bring on the suffering. It's almost like he begins them praying for suffering. I will rejoice all the more for my sufferings, he says in Philippians. (laughs) What? You're rejoicing for sufferings? Paul says, absolutely, if that means I get to experience something that Christ experienced. Amen, I want to experience that. No one ever prays for suffering. But I can tell you this, in my life, some of the darkest times that we've walked through, we've experienced God, we've experienced Christ in the most beautiful ways as a couple. I wouldn't trade those dark moments. I wouldn't go back and change anything that we experience because of the grace of God being poured out on us in those moments. That is part of our inheritance. Inheritance. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love that. Light momentary affliction. That's our whole life. Compared to eternity, it's momentary. You hate your body, momentary. You hate your character, momentary. You hate your addictions, momentary. Comparing it to the weight of glory, it's light. The weight of glory will always crush the light momentary afflictions that we have. We will be exalted to the place of Christ. That's why, and specifically with with this sermon, we have the throne as the image because Those who are lowly, those who are meek, those who are poor in spirit, those who experience the sufferings of Christ will be exalted to the place of Christ in heaven. We will, as the scriptures say, rule and reign alongside of Christ as co-heirs over all of creation. That is our inheritance. So number one, we're going to be glorified with Christ as the children of God Two, fit by that glory we will inherit everything. Three, we will get through we will get there through suffering in no other way. Therefore, therefore, put to death the deeds of the body. Therefore live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Therefore give yourself up to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as He leads you into war with your sin. Therefore let us cry and enjoy our Abba Father because He is our ultimate inheritance. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come on down front. I wanted to save this last piece for the end because again inheritance if we got the glorified body if we got the world but we didn't get God it's not worth it. Our greatest inheritance that the gospel purchases for us is that we get God. We get God. We get God here. We get God now. We get God in our heart. We get God in our minds. We get God in the scriptures. We get God walking alongside of us. We get God in our marriages. We get God in our children's lives. We get God here and now. We get literally him saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We get him saying that, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We get the Holy Spirit. We get the Father. We get the Son. We get all of God wrapped up in the good news of the gospel, planted within our hearts, planted within our identities. And we get to now live through life with that as our greatest hope and as that as our greatest destination. It doesn't matter if we get to heaven and you find out that we don't get the world. If scripture said you don't get anything but God, I want that. Because in God is where I find my ultimate satisfaction, is where I find my ultimate joy, is where I find my happiness. I don't find it in my spouse, I don't find it in my kids, I don't find it in my job, I don't find it in those things. Those things do provide a certain degree of joy, but it's only when we see the gospel working itself out in those things. We receive joy in that. Jeremiah 32, 40 through 41, this is God's promised to us as our inheritance he says i will make with them with you i will make with you an everlasting covenant that i will not turn away from doing good to you what's the everlasting covenant of god what is our salvation it is god proclaiming to us every single day that i am not going to cease doing good for you that's what Romans eight twenty eight says. I'm working out all things, both good and bad, for your good. And he says in verse 40, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Thank you, Jesus, that you put within me your willpower to turn to God because my willpower is going to turn away from him every single day. So he plants within me the fear of him in our hearts so that we won't turn away from him. We can rest in that. We can rest that we're not going to stray and that we're not going to wander because the gospel of Jesus Christ in us binds us to him. It holds us to him. It keeps us to him. And I love the, the, this, the, the last part of Jeremiah 32 here, verse 41. God says this to you. He says he's happy to do it. God's not looking at us with begrudging, oh my gosh, they're just so needy people. They just need everything. They're just always making requests. They're just always asking for help. No, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land. I like to say, I will plant them in Indianapolis in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. We get all the heart of God, all the soul of God directed at us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's pouring out to us is his love. Lavishing it, saying, this is yours. This is yours. Rest in it work in it, run in it, walk in it, experience it daily. That's why we went through the Abide series during summer was because we want you to daily abide in the promises of God being poured out on us every single day. When we received the gospel, strictly we received God. (laughs) And we get to rest there. We get to rest there. We get, we get the entire heart and soul of God planted within our heart and soul. So what we're going to do now is we're going to stand, and the band's going to lead us in a song. We'll get to communion. The band's just going to lead us in a song right now, and we're praying that God would just awaken us this morning to see that he is our great inheritance because of the sacrifice of his son Jesus Man, let's worship him this morning. Let's sing this song and let's, let's get after Jesus. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church?